Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Today, I am speaking to Shami Chakrabarti, who is a stalwart, passionate defender of human rights. She was the director of the campaign group Liberty. She was Labour's shadow attorney general, uh, and she's now a Labour lord. Uh, and I spoke to her a few weeks ago, though this remains as relevant as ever. It's about the Spy Cops Bill, the legislation enabling undercover police officers to torture, rape and murder. Unfortunately, Labour abstained on this. Not ideal. Uh, led as it is by a former human rights lawyer. Uh, so it's a really interesting educational look at what the legislation actually is and what it represents. Uh, I can't recommend this enough. Um, to help us uh, keep this channel going, uh, pay the team and do our documentaries and everything else, all your support is really appreciated. You make this possible on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84 or you can give whatever you want on the supporter function. Please give us five stars on the iTunes. That helps people listen to it, which is great. And do subscribe. And that's enough for me. Here is my chat with Shami Chakravarti. Shami Chakravarti needs no real introduction. Hi, She's the former Owen. director. Hello, you. Hiya. Hello, Former you? director of Liberty, former Shadow Attorney General, one of the most prominent human rights defenders in the Western world. Very lucky to have you. How are you doing? I'm okay, and congratulations on on this show. No, well, it's you know, it's great to great to have you on. This is the whole point of the show: is people like you make it what it is. Uh, so we, you know, very very appreciate it. People are people are already complaining about my hair, which looks ridiculous. Some people unfavorably compare me to Boris Johnson, but you are looking <laughs> fantastic. So that's great. Good to see you, Owen. I think your hair looks great. Yeah, you will, we'll we'll review that in a month and see, uh, <laughs> or by April, when I still haven't had a haircut. Um, Shami, we've got a lot to talk about, and you are the person to talk to about this. So, I suppose the, few, the reason, the, the hook for having this discussion, and a, and a big part of the discussion we're having, is the so-called spy cops legislation. This is something very close to my heart, because, without plugging my work, in, I hate people to do that, but in the in my second book, The Establishment, um, I for that I interviewed several women who had relationships with undercover police officers, and it's it's a really scary story. Those stories are scary, very very chilling. You know, these are women who were involved in, for example, climate activism, direct action of various kinds, generally kind of you know to to help save the planet, kind of direct action. And they met these men who seemed completely committed to the cause and they spent years together and they had relationships. They lived together. In at least one case, they had a child together. And they, it followed the same script where, you know, they, they never, they, they always had reasons why they couldn't hang out with their family. Uh, they, and they, they had no families uh, to speak of, uh, which was always sus, but there was, that was apparently, you know, they had made up a story about it. Um, they would become withdrawn, disappear, and then leave a note on the table. 
And this was obviously very traumatizing. One woman described it as being raped by the state. So do you want to just give, just to begin with, let's give it just, if you could give a summary of the spy cops legislation that the government is driving through parliament, you could just describe it for us. So it's called the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Criminal Conduct Bill, uh, which is a mouthful, but it's pretty chilling, even even in its title. And it's 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 built on the premise, um, which I accept, that uh, we do have to have some undercover agents of the state. Um, you know, we do have to have them, um, but because there are terrorist operations and organised criminal operations that, that do need to be investigated, sometimes by undercover agents. And the further premise that if you are undercover in a criminal enterprise, you're going to have to probably commit some offences yourself just to keep your cover. So, for example, if you're undercover in a terrorist cell, you're automatically committing the offence of being a member of a prescribed organisation. If you're undercover in, a, in an organised uh, drugs operation, you might at least have to possess banned items possibly even deal them um and and this has you know this has always been the case and prior to this legislation there was guidance to undercover operatives about what they what they couldn't couldn't do what they were authorized to do but they but they weren't given um advanced immunity from prosecution so the status of this guidance up to now was was really something that the authorities could look at after the fact if one of these agents was picked up uh, and arrested, uh, a prosecutor would look at the guidance and look at the fact that they were actually um, acting in the public interest when making a decision about whether to prosecute. But what these people were never given in law up to now is total advance immunity from prosecution and from civil, civil claims. And that is what this legislation does for the first time in our in our law. We know that you might need to have undercover agents, but from your story, amongst many others, um, we know that there's a huge risk of abuse because an undercover agent isn't just a telephone tap or a bugging device. This is a human who's actually changing your behaviour and becoming part of your of your intimate circle. So, you know, there are dangers enough as, as things are at the moment. But after this, this bill passes, as I fear it, it, it will, with, you know, within days now, it's, it's back in the Commons probably for its final stages. I think the, the risks of grave, grave abuses by people who now know they have got total advance immunity from ever being prosecuted or ever having civil claims for their for their deeds. I, I, I just think the, the risks are just so, so much greater. And it offends this vital principle of equality before the law, which I don't think is bourgeois or complicated or a lawyer's trick. I think it's something that people understand incredibly well in this country. You know, when, when Dominic, Dominic Cummings went to Barnard Castle, why did the cry go up in, in, in quite that way? Because it was one law for him and another law for everyone else. And that is, that is the principle that's, uh, that's been violated by this legislation. So if we think about how undercover police officers have been used, uh, because they've been in operation since the late 60s. Oh, who... they've, been, they've been in operation for a, a very, oh, sorry. very long time. Yeah. In, the, in this modern yeah. incarnation, of course, yeah, they've yeah. always been yeah. in yeah. operation. But um, yeah, I mean, do you want to just explain you know, how they've been used and, and who, who they've, what kind of groups they've been used to? Well, well, another 
another real outrage, frankly, um, Owen. And I know it's a bit of a cliche to me for me to be outraged because I seem to have been outraged for, for for so much of my so much of my adult life, pretty much all of it. But but a particular outrage is that there is a an, a public inquiry that's supposed to be happening at the moment, and it's barely begun to sit looking into the whole so-called spy cops scandal that's covering cases like the one you described these women in the environmental movement who had these men um, with their legends which is your fake identity move in with them form intimate relationships in at least one case have children um, you know share resources probably defraud them financially Um, and, and sometimes these people are undercover for like seven years and in that time, you know, where are the fruits of this investigation? Where are the criminal charges that should have been brought? I mean, they just don't come. So these people are sometimes almost permanently embedded, um, quite often in peaceful protest organisations. Um, the environmental movement has been a real target of late, but there are stories about going back to the anti-apartheid movement. Um, there are there are um, stories that are being examined by this inquiry about trade unions that have been infiltrated by undercover agents of the state for for many years, and we haven't even fully got to the bottom of it yet. And the government is legislating um, in advance of the conclusion of this judicial inquiry to effectively authorise things that that have happened in the past um, and, and caused it enormous scandal so it's 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 pretty outrageous we we know that doreen lawrence's family campaign for justice for her murdered son was infiltrated by undercover undercover police um and frankly we you know so so many there are so many examples going right back the hunger marches were infiltrated by so-called agent provocateur who behaved violently in order to justify a more oppressive policing response and i guess owen that's really, to my mind, one of the biggest dangers of this legislation. Um, we live in very polarised times. We also live um, um, in times of imminent climate catastrophe, in times where people are, are, are really waking up to the scandal of, 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 of colonialism and entrenched racial inequality on the planet. And I think there's a real danger that in a few years' time there'll be some kind of incident some kind of violent direct action that discredits one of these peaceful protest movements and, and we know what they might be because they're often sort of attacked by politicians from across the spectrum there'll be some kind of incident um, and it will discredit that organization and we will never know as a public whether the whether the violent action the criminal action was actually conducted by an undercover chiz, an agent of the state who was put there for the specific purpose of, of undermining peaceful dissent. I mean, many of those who've been targeted, many of the women who've been targeted, they've they fought back, haven't they? Do you want to just explain that kind of struggle? That, that, those so they fought back? So many of the women who were targeted by undercover police officers have 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 organised, haven't they? There's they've been yeah. fighting for justice. Do you want to just say they a little have? Bit? They've they've you know they've they've got incredibly powerful stories to tell. They have been fighting for justice. That's why we've got this judicial inquiry that's happening. You know that's happening now, and yet the government has rushed through this legislation. It's rushed through this legislation partly, it says, because of um, some litigation that was brought by some 
by some sort of legal activists who who brought litigation about the fact that um, crimes by undercover agents are currently authorised in a sort of administrative way um, and it isn't sort of more explicit on the face of the statute but but it's kind of it's kind of careful what you wish for because you know that litigation is is brought in good faith um, you know because because the current arrangements were said to be shadowy and and, and the government goes for this massive land grab if you like and says right not only will we put these methods more clearly on the statute book we will legislate for total advance immunity from prosecution i think it's worth thinking i mean about about what that does to you as an undercover agent so the abuses that we've described in particular in the environmental movement in the lawrence campaign in the trade union movement um anti-apartheid campaigns and so on they've been bad enough but they have been perpetrated at a time when the undercover agents um, knew that they might be prosecuted if they went too far now that that pressure on their mind is is going to be gone because they're literally going to have a license in advance to to, to commit crimes um, and I just think that, that removing that deterrent from anybody, whether they're a uniformed police officer or a politician or an ordinary member of the public, removing the deterrent, removing any concern about being either sued or prosecuted in the future is just incredibly dangerous. And as I say, offends this principle that we're all supposed to be all supposed to be equal under the law. I mean, the government would say you and I are just scaremongering. Uh, the Human Rights Act will be a safeguard against yeah. potential abuses. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, the government's got sort of speaks with forked tongue about the Human Rights Act because it sort of waves it around as a safeguard uh, one minute and then sort of denigrates it and threatens to repeal it um, the next minute. But but, but more seriously, um, the government's argument is that um, we won't be able to authorise crimes that would offend the Human Rights Act. So, so that's okay. So when these when these police officers or these bureaucrats or these spies or whoever they are 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 dishing out the authorizations, that you know they will know that they cannot authorize crimes that would that would violate human rights. Well, um, if that was a good enough safeguard, we wouldn't need criminal law at all, would we? We would just all you know, walk down the street every day knowing that we have to respect people's rights under, you know, Article Article 8, the right to private life, Article 3, not to be degraded or tortured. Clearly that isn't enough. You know, human rights principles are high level, high level principles that come, that belong in constitutional documents and international treaties. But you need detailed, specific criminal law that tells you, um, that tells you what an assault is and what, uh, and what uh, what grievous bodily harm is, and what self defence is, and and actually is much more detailed about what we what we can and cannot do to other people uh, as we live our lives, and and that's as important for these um, for these undercover operatives as it is for the rest of us. I think an important point to to draw out, Owen, is that people think of James Bond, or they think of even undercover police officers. The, the bulk of these so-called chis or these these undercover agents are, are not even trained professionals they're not trained spies and they're not pol- police officers they're actually members of the community ordinary members of the community quite possibly turned members of the criminal community getting paid 
um, to, um, to be undercover agents. And that should be even more terrifying. It, it, you know, it emerged during the course of, of the passage of the legislation that there are a lot of children being used in uh, police operations in relation to county lines. And the government even refused to accept amendments to this legislation that would stop uh, children under 18-year-olds being authorised to commit crime. So we're now grooming, we're grooming, the state is grooming children to commit crime in its in its name that is how that's how terrifying this legislation is it was actually a conservative peer lord young who was trying to press amendments to to prevent this in in relation to in relation to to children and 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 that failed and wasn't supported if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, some would say, look, come on, the British state might have its flaws, but it's a democracy. It's not like Russia. It doesn't commit crimes against its own people. What would you say to that in terms of the history of that? Well, the evidence, it's, the evidence is to the contrary. You've, you, you gave a lot of examples in your introduction, Owen. We, we've talked about these women. Um, we've talked about the anti-apartheid movement. We've talked about the Lawrence campaign. You know, wherever there is peaceful dissent, particularly progressive or even radical dissent that's designed designed to shake things up and in particular achieve a more a more equal society, there will be those um, who who think this is a, a threat to the status quo and therefore, you know, it, um, certain methods are, are justified. So the fact that it's, a, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is a democracy if it's not founded on the rule of law? And we can be you know, we can be just too complacent about this. I mean, what would we say about this legislation if it was a piece of legislation um, going through the Russian system? We it would be it would be denounced. We would be we would you know there would be all sorts of all sorts of um, uh, 
you know, high-minded critiques of this in all the mainstream media, in, in our parliament, you know, if this were if, if this were Chinese legislation, Russian legislation, etc., etc., because the legislation itself is so dangerous, and in our complacency, um, we're just letting it happen here at home. Um, I mean, I suppose another striking example is what what's happened in Northern Ireland and the collusion that we saw between the British state and loyalist paramilitary groups. And one recent, well, it's it's it's, it's in the news because the uh, the killing of the murder of Pat Finnegan, the uh, solicitor, Northern Irish solicitor yeah. of course, which David Cameron himself denounced the uh, collusion between the British state and loyalist parliamentary groups and the British government have refused a public inquiry into it. I mean, that, do you think that yeah. shows what the state is capable of, basically? Absolutely. And the war on terror was full of, was, was full of abuses. You know, we, there was the whole scandal of extraordinary rendition when we were complicit in kidnap and torture in freedom's name. I mean, look, I'm not saying this to, you know, to rake over a painful past for, for, for all sorts of people who were in government at the time or who, or who weren't. And I'm, I'm just saying that you, that, that, that we need the law as a safeguard and we need the principle of equality before the law as, as a safeguard. As I say, I'm prepared to accept that you do need to have undercover agents of the state that you know they they do they 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 do save lives. I have no doubt that they help to foil terror pl plots and so on. But you still need to regulate very carefully that that kind of conduct because the risk of abuse is so great. And and my view is that if the government wanted to legislate um, to to put all of this on a clearer footing, they should have said that um, if you're undercover and you've been authorised to commit certain crimes. To, proportionate to keeping your cover that would give you a public interest defense but it would not give you total immunity and i tried to press an amendment to you know to, to that effect and, and and didn't get support from the from the two major the two major parties sadly and therefore you know it's, it's the house of lords but it's still it's still highly whipped and therefore that was defeated. I tried a second amendment, would, which would have at least banned the authorisation of agent provocateur. So you wouldn't be able to authorise an agent to commit crimes for the primary purpose of discrediting whoever it is, Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, whichever trade union you like. And even that wasn't supported. And I, I, mean, just, I just find it completely unconscionable. I think this is the most, the most terrifying piece of legislation of my adult lifetime and i've seen a few bad laws i've seen a few bad laws in my in my activist lifetime and i think this is the worst i mean speaking of which and by the way thanks everyone watching i most of you are not watching on youtube so please click through and watch on youtube uh so to keep berating you um yeah in terms of uh not just this legislation let's but it dovetails with another piece of legislation, which is the Overseas Operations Bill. Do you just want to explain what that is? So that's a sort of evil twin. That's a sort of spy cops evil twin. So you've got spy cops that's principally about about what happens here at home, and overseas operation. Well, you know the secrets in in the name. That's about that's about military and other um, operations o overseas. So not just full-blown wars that get declared as war, but, you know, peacekeeping operations, covert operations, but, but overseas. And that bill has kind of three, three bits to it. 
um, on the one hand, it's now going to create a presumption against people um, who've behaved badly during those operations overseas, very badly. It's going to create a presumption against prosecuting them after five years. And there'll be all sorts of hoops to jump through and the Attorney General will have to authorise it. And of course, that's I find that very troubling because the Attorney General could well be the same person who advised on the legality of that conflict or that operation in the first place. The second part um, is, is about making it um, impossible to sue the MOD uh, in relation to those operations after six years, just an absolute bar of six years. At the moment, there's a little bit of wriggle room, there's a little bit of discretion for the courts if they think there was a good reason why a person couldn't sue after six years. And that provision in particular is going to hurt veterans the most because most claims against the against the MOD are from, are from veterans who are put in harm's way you know they don't you know they don't make the decisions about war and peace they're put in harm's way sometimes with inadequate kit or training uh, or or a plan for the operation and you know and some of them suffer terribly and some of them pay the ultimate price and this you know this could make it much much harder for some of these people and their families to to get the compensation they deserve from the MOD if they're not able to bring this claim within six years and sometimes it's, it's very hard to bring the claim within six years you might know that you have the injury but you might not know that it was a friendly fire incident um, or, or, or you know there are other reasons or, or you might have just not had access to, to proper legal advice or you've had bad advice you know there are reasons why exceptionally you do need to bring the claim after six years and and that um, that's not going to be possible anymore. And then the final piece of this horrible legislation is creating a new statutory duty on the Secretary of State to always consider derogating from the ECHR, derogating from the Human Rights Convention every time there's an overseas operation. Now that's really, really suspect and it's kind of reminiscent of the Internal Markets Bill um, when the government tried to almost override a treaty with a domestic statute. You know, there are already provisions from derogating or, or sort of opting out of human rights in times of war or other public emergency threatening the life of the nation. But that's not going to be most conflicts that, you know, that we choose to uh, embark upon overseas where we've made the strategic decision to go and invade another country. Um, it, you know, we haven't done it because there's a you know there's an imminent threat to the life of our nation back at home and and of course you know if we're doing peacekeeping or other you know other specific operations that test is not going to be met so i think this is it, either this provision is just pure sort of rhetoric sprayed onto the straight on sprayed onto the statute book to show you know that we're anti-human rights or the johnson government is anti-human rights which is nasty enough or it's designed to actually change the test for opting out of human rights and it's just part of a it's it's part of a culture war on human rights which is part i think of the bigger johnson and co culture war against anything that's uh, can be described as woke or progressive or 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 or, or any group of people um that don't fit in with their idea uh, of, of what british of what britishness looks like I mean, I was going to ask you about the motive of the government, because, I mean, if Robert Peston, I noted the other week, the ITV political editor, suggested that 
actually Boris Johnson, the reason that the government had messed up was because he was such a civil libertarian. He didn't like having to impose draconian authoritarian rules. What would you what would you say to that in relation to these pieces of legislation? Well, it's not great evidence of civil libertarian instincts, is it? I mean, I do remember that you know Boris Johnson when he was um, when he was wanting to be mayor of London back in 2008. He was a mayoral candidate and he was dead against um, locking people up for 42 days without without charge, you know. So he, so he has at times waved, you know, played that card. But, but I, I'm beginning to doubt the sincerity of it because now he's actually prime minister and he's doing things like um, spy cops and overseas operations, which is such a violation of... Uh, not just civil liberties, but the, but the rule of law itself. And, and as to pandemic management, the problem with pandemic management hasn't been that the government has not been um, authoritarian enough. The problem is that it's been asymmetric in its, in its intervention. So it's been perfectly happy to enact the Coronavirus Act that... Uh, you know, shuts down gatherings and pro including protests and, you know, all sorts of chilling powers that even I had had to support because I didn't feel there was an alternative. But, but my biggest concern about the Coronavirus Act is the half that's completely missing, you know, the power to requisition um, factories and, and um, supply chains to make sure that people had uh, vital PPE um, right at the beginning of the pandemic to make sure that the, the food supply was guaranteed, to make sure that all um, vulnerable and elderly people who were shielding um, got access to those delivery slots that, that, that other people got instead because they had more money and they'd had these slots for, for many years. Um, making sure that people at home um, had, had, had enough money to, to stay at home, that they had proper sick pay that furlough wasn't in the hands of businesses who could who could take the money and sack the staff anyway. So it was asymmetric authoritarianism. It was asymmetric intervention. Very happy to, to, to take away the liberties of ordinary people, of ordinary individuals, but not so happy to um, to require businesses to, to, to actually have proper safe working places. Where were the extra resources and powers for the health and safety executive? Another scandal today, I think, about the DVLA um, it, it, in Swansea that's become a, a, a centre of super spreading. That's a, that's a government agency. Mm. So, so no, I, 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 I'm not buying this. Um, I'm not buying this this theory of pandemic management that it was just because of um, civil libertarian instincts. It's it's not. It's entitlement. It's entitlement. It's um, it's a sort of Jonathan Sumption argument. You know. I should have the I should have the right to, to to take my Land Rover and my Labrador to a to a beauty spot and let the vulnerable shield themselves, um, and it's and it's sort of dressed up as if it's if it's to do with the old and the young turning the old and the young against each other when when actually there've now been plenty of a really quite young people particularly working um, in public services on the front line who've been who've been brought very low by by, by coronavirus. I mean, I'll ask you a bit more about the pandemic, but, but before I do, in terms of these two pernicious pieces of legislation, someone, Dara, has sent in a question. I brought a serious case involving state abuses to my MP who did nothing but lip service and now abstains the party on this very matter, grotesque. And of course, Labour did order its MPs to abstain and some resigned from the front bench as a consequence. What Do you have any thoughts about, I mean, you're a Labour peer, obviously. Um, well, you were, I mean, you were having a bit of this sort of, discussion 
I think, with Michael Walker and, 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 and Paul Mason last week. I think there are some people who just have this view that, um, that civil liberties uh, aren't loved in the Red Wall. And I just don't, sh I, I don't share that view. And, 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 and if I'm wrong, and, um, and there are people um, in seats that Labour needs to win back who, who don't value their rights and freedoms, then we've got to explain better. I personally think that equality before the law is something that everyone understands, as in Barnard Castle. One law for them, another law for us. You know, uh, I'm told to stay at home, but I'm not given the economic support to stay at home. Um, you know, I could, you know, my trade union, my protest movement, which could be a, which could be a centre left or centre right protest movement, um, can be infiltrated um, by agents of the state, um, and they can commit crimes with total impunity. But no impunity. Where's the protection for me? I don't think these things are so difficult to explain, but I think, you know, maybe some people, you know, still believe that you can win an authoritarian's arms race from the centre-left. I don't think you can, especially against Priti Patel. I mean, the woman believes in the death penalty. How can any any shade of Labour Party ever win that kind of, that kind of arms race? I, th I, th I think it's a real mistake, if, that, if that's the view. More broadly, I mean, just going back to the pandemic, I mean, it's interesting because I've discussed it not with another show, and it's this issue of... There've been lots of people have been fined. I mean, you, you've just touched on this, fined for violations of COVID rules, but not a single employer in the country exactly. has been prosecuted. And the other issue is we know the police is institutionally suffers from institutional racism. There is an issue, isn't there, of it being disproportionately authoritarian rules, uh, laws used against particularly young black men, let's be honest. Yep, Ab absolutely. I mean, you know, this is why the, the principle of non-discrimination and equality b before the law are just so important to uh, so important to uh, a part of the human rights framework. Um, and you're quite right. If the government was really serious about rights and freedoms, but also about pandemic management, they would have put much, much more resource um, and power actually into policing these unsafe warehouses and building sites that have be become the unsafe mills and mines of our generation. Um, an absolute scandal, you know, and there will, there will be a reckoning. There will have to be an inquiry uh, after all of this, and it will have to look at the handling of the pandemic. And I think the, the discriminatory handling of the pandemic is going to feature very largely. Um, I've had some questions come in uh, prior. People are very excited about you coming on. So, Lucy Hughes, could ask your view on how Brexit will impact on the ability of activists and legal teams to fight legislation like spycocks and other moves undermining human rights? Well, theoretically, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be harder because we're still in the Council of Europe and we're still signatory to the Convention on Human Rights. And for the moment, at least, we still have the, the Human Rights Act. But I think Brexit does still have an impact in that I think that the, the right-wing motivation for a deregulatory right-wing Brexit, that sort of xenophobic instinct that, um, that Johnson and co have been sort of harnessing, that's a kind of appetite that's never satisfied. And my worry is, you know, they've got Brexit done 
um, they've got a very right-wing deregulatory Brexit done and what's next? And I think they will have the Human Rights Act in their sights. We know already that they've got a review of judicial review, which is presumably payback for the Supreme Court um, standing up for, for Parliament when Johnson illegally shut it down in the um, in, in the summer and autumn of, um, uh, of 2019. So they've already got their, their, their eyes on the judges and on judicial review. They've been um, you know, preaching bile about the Human Rights Act since its inception. Um, they've got their hard right Brexit done. That's going to presumably bring a lot of misery to a lot of people. And so there's going to be more divide and rule. It's the oldest trick in the book. And Johnson and Co have played it incredibly well. And you play it against against um, refugees and against um, all sorts of vulnerable groups in society. You turn people, you turn people against each other because that way nobody looks up at these gods on Olympus with their um, obscene amounts of money, who of course have been enriched under the pandemic as well, because because we know some people have been enormously enriched under the pandemic. So my my biggest worry is that um, you know Johnson and Co will be will have an appetite for more drastic attacks on our rights and freedoms and on our ability to uh, to protect them things like judicial review things like the human rights act Corey collins asked this as well i mean it's a chilling question but it has come up which is how much easier do you think the return of the death penalty might be in a post-brexit uk there are there are siren voices agitating for the death penalty and, and could it be legally possible well it it can't be legally possible uh, as long as we stay signatory to um, to um, to the ECHR and to the, the the provision, the protocol in the ECHR, the Convention on Human Rights that bans the death penalty. But you know, in the past, even Theresa May, who who now looks like some nice liberal woman, even Theresa May in the past talked about um, you know p- potentially coming out of the ECHR. So that would be, uh, and there are other there are other people who have done that too. You know, the people that you know, people like Dominic Raab and others who have lashed out at the Strasbourg Court. The Strasbourg Court is the is the guardian of the of the European Convention on Human Rights. And if we came out of that, which many in the Conservative Party would like to do, many of the proponents of 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 of, of things like the Overseas Operations Bill would like to do, then. You know, it, it, it's not impossible at all. We know about right-wing populist movements. We've, we're still reeling from the Trump years, for goodness sake. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? You know, in a, in a country like the US, um, even, you know, even now with a, a Biden presidency, you, you're not hearing, um, you're not hearing a, a, a mission to get rid of the death penalty. That's just not politically, it's not politically possible in, in the US which is extraordinary to me, absolutely extraordinary to me that a, a great old democracy like the, the US should should still maintain that um, that barbaric practice. Of course, it would take a constitutional amendment, but it's one that I would like to see. But yeah, it's all of this is very fragile. Our human rights are very fragile. And we now have, you know, we have a woman in, in the Home Office who just a few years ago said on national TV that she supported the death penalty. And... It's a great way to divide and rule. All it all it takes 
is some kind of atrocity, some kind of outrage, a terrible crime, terrible incident, and one of these right-wing populist politicians says, right, the time has come. And I don't know what happens then if we don't if we don't stand up that's why we can't just fight the alligators every time we have to we have to drain the swamp we can't just complain about this bill or that bill we actually have to change the narrative about our rights and freedoms they are not bourgeois luxuries they are just as important as our nhs or our need for shelter or our need for food because those are our social and economic rights we need our civil and political rights too just finally then on the spy cops bill what can people do i mean it's very difficult at the moment to organize because we're in the middle of a terrible pandemic and locked in our homes necessarily uh in order to protect lives and stop the nhs collapsing completely um what can people do and and finally again maybe because you just talked about it but i'd be interested you know because it's such a cliche people say civil liberties it's a namby pamby a fair liberal don't live in the real world you value you know uh, you you throw security under a bus and you know it's terrorists and extremists that human rights defenders are all fighting for that was me my little daily mail rant not very convincing owen if, <laughs> I, if i may say so the thing is not to grin when you're doing it Sorry. always been a master of subtlety haven't i <laughs> um, you've got to not grin when you're doing your, your Daily Mail rant because you've got to channel the, the righteous indignation. Look, the thing about the spy cops bill is authorising crime. It's, it's, it's creating more crimes and giving them total immunity. That is not about... That's, to, to my mind, that is not how we fight crime. That's how we licence crime. And both overseas operations and the overseas operations bill is going to take compensation away from veterans and their families if they can't if they can't bring their claim within six years so you know i don't think it's that complicated to explain that we need equality before the law and we all need to be protected from abuses of power by the state i mean goodness me you know some of these Tories think that just paying a, a few p more tax is a terrible intrusion on their liberty. You know that you know, you'd think that they'd be more sceptical, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd be more sceptical of of state power, but apparently not when they're in government. Um, this is the problem. But I I believe that ordinary people do understand this. They do understand what it is to to have the rough end of the stick. You know to to be treated badly by your employer or your landlord and not have adequate legal redress. I, I think people understand the one law for some and another law for everyone else. And I just think we need to be, we just need to be more articulate about it. I think people can, can write to their MPs and, and talk about how alarmed they are by, by this legislation. And I think that, uh, and I think that, you know, if, they, if they're members of political parties, they, they ought to be, they ought to be seeking pledges for this, for this type of law to be, to be repealed. Sammy, that was a real tour de force. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you got a lot from that. If you want to support us, you can use patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84 and help suggest what we talk about, the topics, the people we speak to. Uh, please do subscribe and give us five stars to help the algorithm encourage other people to listen to it too. With all that, I hope you're well, and I will speak to you soon. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.